0: Thank you for directing your internet connection to the sermon audio page for Christ Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about Christ OPC by visiting our website at www.christopcatl.org. Christ OPC meets for worship each Sunday at 11 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Uh, As we turn now uh, to the preaching of the word, let's go before him in time of prayer. Yes, Lord, your law is our delight, and uh, your statutes are faithful, uh, true, and right, and we thank you that you have uh, revealed your law to us in your word and that you would not leave us to our own uh, devices and imaginations for how we are to live our lives holy and righteous before you. And so we ask uh, this evening, Lord, that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to your word, cause us to be acceptable uh, before it, to uh, let it uh, form an impress upon our lives and conform us uh, more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen you want to take out your Bibles and open up to our sermon text uh, this evening in the book of uh, 1 Peter, continuing on in our series uh, there. This evening our sermon text is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 uh, through 16, and I will be reading uh, verses 13 through 21. Uh, Hear now the holy, inspired, and inerrant word of our God. but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who, through him, are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and your hope are in God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, we live in an age and a culture where the principle of nonconformity is lauded as the highest of ethical goals. Uh, It marks the definition of a high character or perhaps of a strong person. Uh, We laud the person who goes against the flow or who stands out from the crowd, the, the person who refuses to follow the norm and blazes their own trail. There's even books on this. You can uh, get on Amazon and find a whole host of them. But one particular idol, uh, uh, um, title caught my eye, uh, where one of the books about this nonconformity movement uh, was called this, uh, The Arts of Nonconformity. Set your own rules, live the life you want, and change the world. You see the irony of a book, written about how to be a nonconformist the irony is that it is itself calling you to live a particular life it is actually a whole worldview isn't it a, a way of perceiving the world that sets yourself up as the arbiter of all things good a worldview that says you should be the one to set your own rules to live your own life, and therefore, for following the logic of the title, to recreate the world after your own image. Be the nonconformist. Conform to my worldview. You see, there's a simple reality at play here. Everyone conforms to something. Everyone Conforms to something. And so you have to ask and answer this question To what do you conform? Or to maybe put it a little bit differently Do you seek to be conformed to the reality of who God is and the commands that He has for you? Or do you seek to live your own life, to conform to this non Christian worldview, to be the arbiter? of your own ethical world do you conform to the set your own rules paradigm of the world calling yourself to to live as you please or do you conform to the word of god the commands of the god of heaven pursuing what is pleasing in his sight and calling yourself to conform to his holiness holiness See, I think that's the question that Peter calls us to answer for ourselves and in our own lives this evening. Because in these verses, he calls us as Christians to have our hope set firmly on the revelation that is the coming of Jesus Christ. To look to the age of glory and therefore to be invigorated to live holy lives today by being conformed to the image of God to be conformed to the character of the God who saves us and who will bring us into our heavenly inheritance. You can put the main teaching of these verses very simply. You could say this, setting our minds fully on Christ and his coming, we become more like Christ in the way we live today setting our minds fully on Christ and his coming, we become more like Christ in our lives today. We're going to see this in three parts this evening. First, in a call to hope. Second, in what you are not to be conformed to. And then lastly, in verses 15 and 16, who you are to be conformed to. Now looking first at the call to hope in verse 13, it's important to realize that this verse is a transitional one. Uh, in the book, it forms a sort of bridge between verses 1 through 12 and, and verses 14 on through the very end of the book. And because of that, it's very important to pause and consider the impact of what this verse in particular is going to have. We have to think about the way it's going to relate both to what precedes it as well as what proceeds from it, And in the preceding portion of his letter, Peter uh, has been outlining the very nature of the Christian life and that substance of our hope. He tells you who you are in verses 1 and 2, how you are the elect exiles of the triune God, how uh, through Christ's work you have been made alive in God. And he, he carries on in verses uh, 3 through 12 to, to develop that a little bit more. He tells us how uh, we are a people who have been saved by God according to his great mercy. Verse 4, as he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In Christ, Peter tells us we have been born again and that although we will suffer a whole variety of trials for a little while, verse 6, we are promised that God will bring us to our heavenly inheritance. It's one that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. That we will be raised in a praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. And these wonderful promises and this nature that is already now yours has been proclaimed to you, both in the prophets of old, verses 10 through 12, as well as in the apostles of this age. As we come to verse 13, we'll notice the connection with what precedes is actually very important because that phrase in verse 7 of being raised in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ is repeated in verse 13, where we are to hope, Peter says, on the grace that will be brought to you when? At the revelation of Jesus. So what comes before in verses 1 through 12 is the living hope, verse 3, that we have through the word of the gospel. That we have been made alive in Christ. Now the point of transition in verse 13 is this. After outlining who you are as the elect exiles of God... How you have been born again through the resurrection power of Christ proclaimed in his gospel. Verse 13 begins a section of the letter that deals with the implications of that for your life today. It begins a, a long series of exhortations throughout Peter's letter, calling you to live a holy life before a holy God. In linguistic terms, Peter is shifting here from the indicative statements of reality, statements of who you are, proclamations of your Christian nature in Christ, to imperative constructions or commands for your life. See, in light of the gracious working of God to raise us up from spiritual death to spiritual life, therefore, verse 13, we are to live our lives a certain way and he has a number of things he's going to command to us both in our passage this evening as well as throughout the letter like we must have our hopes set on christ revelation verse 13 we must pursue holiness verses 14 through 16 we must love one another earnestly verse 22 we must crave pure spiritual milk chapter 2 verse 2 we must flee from the passions of the flesh and keep our conduct pure chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 and on through the end of the letter you see, verse 13 begins these exhortations. It begins these calls to live our lives in, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of what he has done for us and the heavenly hope that we have in him. In a way, I think we could say that verse 13 is kind of the umbrella commandment of all of Peter's letters. And I say this not just because it's the first one in the book, although it is, but also because it's the way he ends his book. In fact, he references back to chapter 1, verse 13, in two other places in his letter. In chapter 4, verse 7, he talks about how we need to be sober-minded for the sake of our prayers, and you can hear verse 13, and that call to be sober-minded. Same thing in chapter 5, near the end of the letter, Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a luring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This commandment forms a central idea for the apostle Peter, a central core to his own theology that we'll need to consider here this evening. But first, the structure of the book, the transitional nature of this verse, calls us to consider the close connection between who we are in Christ and our Christ like lives. There is no conflict and the Christian life between the soul divine working of God for your salvation and the call to you to pursue holiness. These things are never opposed to one another in the Bible. You see, the work to God to save us is not by our own works, but by God's grace alone. But it does lead to a pursuit of holiness and righteousness in our lives. You see, God's work, His redemptive work, His saving work, renders an effect in us where we are renewed by the Spirit and enlivened to righteousness and holiness. While once dead in trespasses and sins, we are, by God's grace, made alive to pursue Christ and holiness and righteousness in all things. Because of that, I think one of the things that the structure of Peter's letter here calls us to consider is that we need to take care we need to take care that we never use the marvel of God's wondrous grace as an excuse to be lax in our spiritual lives we must never use the wondrous workings of God's for us as an excuse to be lazy in our devotion to the Lord, in our pursuit of righteousness. Instead, I believe what Peter is saying here is that it should spur us all the more to pursue holiness and righteousness. All the more to pursue a likeness to our God and Father who is in heaven. Isn't that what Peter is saying here in verse 13? Notice how he begins these exhortations in his book. He says, preparing your minds for action. Literally, it's a translation of an idiom that says, gird up the loins of your mind. Well, that's a weird phrase, and so they translated it in a a more glossed way, saying to prepare your minds for action. But gird up the loins of your mind, I think, is a, a very good image. It's coming from the Old Testament, and it's about preparing yourself. For the task at hand. It's the Old Testament equivalent of the modern day way of saying that you need to roll up your sleeves and, and get your hands dirty. See, Peter is saying that the Christian life is not marked by idleness. There is an urgency to the task at hand, and he's calling you here to get to work. Roll up your sleeves in your spiritual lives, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't be a lazy Christian. Be active. Get to work. Then he specifies the way we are to gird up the loins in our minds, and he calls us to be sober-minded. And often when we read this phrase, sober-minded, especially here in our American context, we jump to alcoholic drinks and drunkenness. Now, all we should certainly avoid drunkenness. That's not Peter's point. Here, the idea that he is making here is that we should be free from any sort of mental or spiritual drunkenness. To be free, we could say, from the intoxication of the world. I think one commentator put it well when he says of this verse and and this uh, particular term here, sober-mindedness. He says, there is a way of living. That becomes dull to the reality of God. That is anaesthetized by the attractions of the world. When people are all people are lulled into such drowsiness, they lose sight of Christ's future revelation of Himself and concentrate only on fulfilling their earthly desires. What is Peter saying here? He is saying, be ready to ask he's saying prepare yourselves maintain a way of looking at your lives where you do not become drunk on the world maintain a way in your life where the cares concerns and love of the world don't creep up and choke out the cares and concerns of your spiritual lives don't cherish the things in this life to such an extent that they call you to conform to them rather than to be conformed to God and his own call to righteousness. Now, in light of that, we're tempted to see these calls of preparing your minds and being uh, sober-minded as the commands of this verse. But actually, they're not. Now, I know some translations do take them that way, but really they're actually descriptions of what you actually are commanded to do. And what you are commanded to do in this verse, and the the first command of the book of 1 Peter is this, hope. What you are to prepare your minds for action in and be sober-minded in is hope. To set your hope, Peter says, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we're often tempted, aren't we, to think that hope is just something you have. But not so for Peter. Peter here calls you to labor in your hope. To prepare your minds for this hope. To concentrate yourself on the object of this hope, which is what? The revelation, the coming of Jesus Christ. That's what the grace that is to be yours at the revelation of Jesus Christ is. It is the coming of Christ and the coming of His kingdom. Peter is telling you here to set your minds upon that reality. Gird up the loins of your minds by focusing them on heaven. Be sober-minded concerning the things of this earth by being robustly minded concerning the things of heaven. Hope is the command. Of Peter here. Hope in the coming of Christ, rest in the coming of Christ, set your mind on the coming of Christ. We're often to, to use this term "hope" in, in such a—I don't know what to call—but a lazy way itself, isn't it? We almost use it as a, 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 a term or an expression that says something that maybe it'll happen, but probably not. Like when I woke up this morning at what should have been 5 a.m., I looked at the weather and I said, I sure hope it doesn't rain today because I've got to drive down to LaGrange. I knew it was going to rain. The drops were already pelting on the window. That's not the way hope is used in the New Testament. The way hope is used in the New Testament is invariably, that is, always as a statement of confidence. A statement of confidence concerning something that is good and beneficial for the people of God. It is something that is certain, something that is sure for you. You are called here to orient your entire Christian life and the reality of who you are upon the truth of Christ and his coming. It is sure, Peter is saying, and we can trust in it even as we are living lives today that are so often marked by suffering rather than glory we have a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ that takes us to consider his heavenly inheritance it is sure look towards it but it's not merely that we should have confidence on the coming of christ is it peter doesn't just say set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And for our hope to be fully on the revelation of Christ is for it to be an exclusive hope. Your hope is exclusively on Christ, exclusively on His grace, and exclusively on His coming. The the Christian hope cannot be satisfied by anything else other than Christ or other than his kingdom. Your hope is not in making America great again. Your hope is not in redeeming the various features of our culture, whatever they might be. Your hope is not in gaining status or relevance, or power, or prestige, or influence in this world. Your hope is not in prosperity or money. Your hope is not in escaping the difficult life circumstances that we have in this increasingly anti-Christian world. Your hope is and must be exclusively on Christ and his coming. Beloved, set your hope fully, undividedly on the hope of heaven your great hope and the great overarching imperative of the book of Peter is to seek things that are above it's like what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 that if then you have been raised with Christ seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on the earth For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Your undivided hope, your sure foundation, the anchor of your soul is the heavenly reality of the kingdom of God in Christ. That is your inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that is your hope. The kingdom that is eternal. The kingdom that cannot be shaken. Situated in the heavenly places. That is the grace to be revealed to you. To be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The kingdom that you have now by faith. Being brought to you by sight. When Jesus comes again. What else could fulfill your hope? And what greater hope? could you possibly have now does this hope of heaven this sure and steadfast anchor of your soul that calls us or that anchors Peter's call here to holiness in our lives today in fact Peter's logic here I think is parallel to Paul's in Colossians 3 where immediately after he calls us to seek things that are above do you remember what Paul says in verse 5 In verse 5 of Colossians 3, Paul says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And do you see how Peter continues in verse 14? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your earthly life before christ before your knowledge of who he is and the heavenly inheritance that he has granted for you it's like what peter will continue to say in chapter 4 verse 3 with that the time that is past suffices for doing what the gentiles want to do living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry what is peter saying he's saying do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and the hope that you have in Christ. You've been called out of that life, Peter is saying. Peter is saying that is the the former life. That's the time that is past life. Don't be conformed to your former selves. You have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness. You have been set free from enslavement to sin. Therefore, do not return to the darkness again. Do not return to slavery again essentially the issue peter is dealing with here is this he's calling you to consider what determines the conduct of your daily lives he's asking is your conduct determined by your former ignorance is your conduct determined by the way of life that you lived prior to salvation in christ or is your conduct determined by the heavenly hope that you have from verse 13? Put the question a little bit differently. Do you live as a citizen of the earth? As a citizen of this age? Or do you live as a citizen of heaven? Is your conduct conformed to the action of the Gentiles that Peter talks about in chapter 4 verse 3? Or is it conformed to the holiness of God? Verses 14 or 15 through 16. That's an important question for us to consider in our lives, isn't it? From where do you get insight on how to live? Where do you seek to conform your life? Or what do you seek to conform your life to? Do you look around at the various institutions and things of this world and find there the insight for what it means to live a life of righteousness or do you instead look to Christ and look to his word see we live in a time where there is going to be a conflict of interests in our lives in our former lives outside of Christ we lived of ethical ignorance led astray by the various passions of the flesh but God in his mercy has called you out of the former life to a holy life In God, to a life that is matching and bearing the image of God in your day-to-day acts. Peter is saying, don't be conformed to that former way. Be conformed to Christ. Be conformed to the ethic that He would have you to live. In fact, a lot of these verses, 14 all the way up through 21, is made up of a bunch of contrasts. Peter says that formerly we were ignorant of God and His ways, but in salvation we are made to know God in Christ. It's significant that as Peter continues into verse 18, he says that you are to know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, saved by the precious blood of Christ. Formerly, in our ignorant ways, we were not children of God, but now Peter describes us how in verse 14, but as obedient children. And in verse 17, he tells us to call upon our heavenly father formerly we were conformed to the passions of that former ignorance but now we are called to live a holy life conformed to the god of heaven formerly our way of life was futile verse 18 but now it is one of faith and hope in god verse 21 that leads to a purification of our souls verse 22 Formerly, your way of life was affirmed and loved by the world. Chapter 4, verse 3, But now you have been set free to live a life of holiness to God that is so often rejected and slandered by the world. Chapter 4, verse 4. It's a time of conflict, you see. Between the former things, our former passions, and the reality of our salvation in Christ, and the inheritance that we have been given. We still wage this war, don't we, against our indwelling sin. And the call of Peter here is to more and more put to death that sin. And be more and more made alive to Christ. To not be conformed to that former way of life. And instead conform yourself to who you are in Christ. And that's what Peter takes us to consider last of all in verse 14. Not what you are not conformed to, verse 14, but now who you are conformed to, verses 15 and 16. So, whereas verse 14 presents the negative, what you should not be like, you should not be conformed to your former selves or your former ignorance, verses 15 and 16 present the positive, who you are to be conformed to. And the contrast here is clear. Our holiness is according to the one who called you. To be holy, to be righteous means to have a life conform to the holy and righteous character of the One who has called you. To be God-like. To be Christ-like in your lives. Remember what we confessed just a short while ago in Westminster Larger Catechism, question 75? That we are renewed in what? The image of God. The image of a holy God being pressed upon you as the holy people of God and made more and more holy throughout your lives as you are conformed to the God who has called you. Now, the way I think Peter puts this in verses 15 and 16 is important. Because this call to holiness is a statement according to the holiness of the one who called us. To be a holy people, you must be, first be a called people by God. You must first be a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. God is the one who has called you, same verb here, to His eternal inheritance and glory in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. What Peter means by called here is what theologians call the effectual calling. Where God's work, by God's grace, is to call you out of your former life into fellowship and union with God. To call you to himself. God is the one who calls you and brings you out of your former ignorance and conforms you to his own image. But that's not all that Peter has to say about this. He also adds in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that we are granted the divine power we need to pursue this holiness. He says, all things that pertain to life and godliness are through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You see, there is never a command to works and to holiness and to pursue righteousness without the grace of God calling us and the power of God given to us that we we might live a holy life. You, the obedient children of God and Christ, are born again through the imperishable seed of God's word, bought with the precious blood of our Savior. Therefore, you are made holy, and therefore you may live a holy life today. The ground for this is is God and his mercy. And the potency, the power for this is God and his mercy. And what does God and his mercy bring you to? He brings you to Christ-likeness. That's really the emphatic call of these verses, isn't it? It's all about being like the one who called us, being holy as he is holy. Instead of conforming ourselves to our own rules, setting their own rules for our lives, or living how you want to live, you are to be conformed to the holiness of the God who has called you out of that life and into this life as a Christian. In fact, Peter makes this point even more clear in verse 16 by quoting the book of Leviticus. Everyone's favorite Old Testament book, I know. But the point of that book is this. You shall be holy, for I am holy. It's conforming your character to the character of the God of heaven. Beloved, don't miss the gravity of these verses. In the fall... When mankind and Adam refused to conform to God's holiness and pursued sin and death instead, we lost that holy likeness to God. Instead, we were conformed to darkness and sin and death rather than holiness and life and light. But the power of God in the Gospel is that through His Son, He is breaking the power of reigning sin to effectually call us back to Himself, to renew us in holiness and renew us in His glorious likeness to confer Himself upon us and make us holy. In salvation, God renews us and makes us like Him. Crafts us like the master craftsman after the image of our Savior. You see, the holiness we receive is the holiness of Christ. And the holiness that you should bear in your life is the holiness of Christ as well. Christ must be the impress upon your character. Christ must be the one that you pursue conformity to In your everyday life. To pursue holiness is to pursue Christ-likeness. See what Peter is saying in these verses? He's saying don't be conformed to the world. Be conformed to Christ. And be conformed to the world to come. See, when we think about this call to holiness in verses 15 and 16, we need to remember verse 13. The call to holiness today is anchored in our hope in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when Christ returns in his glory, he will renew us fully in his image. The war we rage against sin today the war we rage against our indwelling sin will be brought to an end in victory. And even as you are now fully known by God, you will fully know God. And as you are brought into your glorious inheritance to blessedness and reward in his presence, you will be renewed and perfected in righteousness and holiness. You will bear the image of your beloved Savior in glory with no weight of sin bearing down upon you therefore peter is saying you can be invigorated enlivened and strengthened to live a life of holiness today you have been made righteous you have been made holy through the mighty work of the one who has called you and you have the hope of even greater holiness at the revelation of jesus christ The day where we will be fully holy as he is holy. You have in Christ the hope of his revelation. And you have in Christ a hope of holiness. Where you are remade. Renewed after his image. And you will be perfected in glory. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for... Uh, this wonderful hope of holiness that you have given us in Christ. Not that we would be conformed to the world, but that we would be more and more conformed to your blessed Son. That we would bear the image of your Son in our lives. And we pray this evening that you would more and more empower us to live lives of holiness, even now. That you would cause us more and more to be conformed to you and to your Son, rather than conformed this world. Work this in us by the powerful mights of your spirit, we pray. Amen.